There's this phrase in the Old Testament, uh, the prophets use it a lot. It's one of my favorites, the phrase, gird your loins. You guys familiar with it? So the imagery is like, you're an Old Testament prophet and you wear a robe. God says, gird your loins because I have something difficult to tell you. And the image is that you, just forgive me, you reach between your legs and you grab the robe and you hold it up tight and you buckle it in your belt. You know, so that anything loose stays in place as you run. <laughs> Y'all, the Old Testament's a mess and <laughs> it's awesome. Um, anyway, so uh, it's a way, God's, God's way of saying like, just get ready because this is gonna be tough. All right? Friends, gird your loins. Uh, today is gonna be tough. I wanna start with these two verses. Look at this. Uh, this is from Jeremiah. Uh, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal king. When he is angry, the earth trembles. The nations cannot endure his wrath. This is from another prophet, uh, Nahum. It says, uh, who can withstand his indignation? Who can endure his fierce anger? His wrath is poured out like a fire. The rocks are shattered before him. This is the word of the Lord. <laughs> Yeah, thanks be to God. Let's pray real quick and we'll get started. Father, uh, we pray that this morning that you, uh, as always, open our minds and our eyes and our ears and our hearts because what we're gonna receive today is tough. Um, you are revealed all throughout scripture from start to finish. Um, and there is part of your nature, part of the way that you respond to things in the world that's just difficult. And maybe we wish we could ignore it. Maybe we wish that we didn't have to talk about it, uh, but it's there. It's part of who you are. So this morning, we pray that you would help us to understand it. Uh, help us understand it so that we can know you better and so that we can understand how we are to go and live in the world. So we pray all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. So we have been on a journey this Lent. We've been asking some really difficult questions. We've been asking, what about suffering? What about betrayal? Last week, we talked about what about loving our enemies? And today, it really, it might be the toughest what about so far. What about God's wrath? What about God's anger? And y'all, I've been really encouraged over the past couple weeks um, as I meet with different groups throughout the week. I've been asking them if it bothers them that God is angry in the Bible because we're gonna see today he clearly is angry. And for the most part, these groups, they were okay with God's wrath and anger. Um, at least, I mean, we had to discuss it a little bit, but they were okay with it. I think the problem that we have, at least the church, is that we just don't know how to talk about it, Right? So when somebody outside of the church asks us, yeah, but what about God's anger? What about God flooding the world? What about destroying cities and nations? What about God ultimately judging the world and bringing all this to an end? So today we're gonna deal with it. We're gonna deal with an emotional and angry God. Because I think it's a real and it's an understandable objection that comes at us from an unbelieving world. And if we are going to be disciple-making disciples, that's our mission. So if we're gonna do that, if we're gonna be a people who can freely and joyfully share our faith, we've gotta share the whole thing. We've gotta have a biblically literate understanding of the whole person of God, not just the parts we like. We've gotta understand the whole nature of God so that we can help a lost world understand that that God loves them so much that he gave them his only son. So I wrestled uh, for a couple weeks actually to find a passage to focus on for today because to be totally honest with you, uh, throughout the Bible, God's angry a lot. 
Um, so I landed on Psalm 7 uh, for a number of reasons. And then I just thought that the way we would do this today is just a really common Bible study practice that I've shared with some of you before. We're just gonna read the text. We're gonna read all of Psalm 7. And then we're gonna ask four simple questions. From the Psalm and from what we know about scripture, who is God? What has he done? Who are we? And then so what? What are we supposed to do, right? That's the right order to ask those questions. And those are the four questions that you can take to any passage of scripture and they will help you uncover some deep um, and profound truth. So let's read Psalm 7. Uh, If you wanna turn in your Bible to Psalm 7, uh, you can open up pretty much just to the middle um, and you should be at least close to Psalms. If you see Isaiah, Jeremiah, you wanna go to your left. If you see something else, go to your right. (laughs) But it's pretty much right in the middle. Uh, We're gonna read Psalm 7. So I'll get started as you guys find your place. It starts like this. It says, Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. Or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Now pay attention to this. Lord, my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. I want you to remember those verses for when we get to the end. When we look at what this anger looks like in our lives, practicing anger, it always starts with an inward look to make sure I have the right to be angry and that I'm angry at the right things for the right reason. Okay, so just hang on to that. We'll come back to it. Uh, Continuing on, verse six. He says, now, arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the people. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God who probes minds and hearts. My shield is God most high who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit that they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. And this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for this as well. Okay, so, so far from this passage, first, who is God? From Psalm 7, who is God? Well, you can do this on your own and see if you find anything else, but just really quickly, um, I find that uh, he's the one that the writer finds his shelter and his protection in. Uh, God is on the throne and he's over not only God's people, but he's even over his enemies. I think we see that God is righteous. He's the Lord most high and he is angry. Then we ask, what has God done? I think from this passage, we can see that he fights uh, for his children. He protects, he seeks justice. He is a warrior who's preparing his weapons for battle and he acts on his anger. Now verse 11 should really stand out that God is a righteous judge. 
a God who displays his wrath when? Every once in a while? On occasion? Every day. Do you see what that's saying? This is heavy, right? He's not just angry. He's always angry. (laughs) But we also know that he's not only angry. And that's the right place to start. God is always angry, but he is not only angry. And I want to show that to you this morning. So uh, first, actually, uh, in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, God's not angry at all. Never once is the word anger used in relationship to God. Not when he floods the earth, not when he scatters the builders at the Tower of Babel, not even when he destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. It never once says he's angry. It says he's heartbroken. We aren't introduced to the anger or the wrath of God until the 54th chapter of the Bible, until Exodus chapter four. And the first time we find God angry, it's very important because it helps us understand anger from God's perspective. Uh, God has decided uh, in the chapters before that he's gonna free his people who have been slaves in Egypt for over 400 years. And he's chosen a guy named Moses to be the one to lead them out. And as he's telling this to Moses, five times Moses uh, denies God. He says no, he argues with God. Basically, this is not a wise choice, God. You're not, you're not gonna use me in this way. And God responds with a solution to every problem Moses throws his way, but Moses keeps responding with excuse after excuse. And then the final thing that Moses said, I think this is hilarious. This is in Exodus 4, 13. Moses just says this. He says, please, just send somebody else. <laughs> it's like, I got nothing else. I just don't wanna do it. Please send someone else. And the next verse says, then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. So that's it. That's the first time the Hebrew word for anger is used for God in the Bible. God's anger burned against Moses, the one chosen to lead his people to the promised land. And there's an introductory truth to that, that God's anger is often reserved for those who are closest to him. That is a theme that we're gonna see throughout scripture. But listen to what he does with that anger. All right, verse 14, the Lord's anger burned against Moses and he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. Is that what you sound like when you're angry at somebody? Is that how you speak? Like, does God lash out in a vengeful rage? Like, he's got this little bush that's burning but not being consumed. Does he spread the fire and burn the whole place down? Does he cause an earthquake? Does he threaten Moses' life? Does he just give up on the plan altogether? No. He offers another way. The first instance of God's anger burning against humanity, it results in cooperation and resolution. Eventually, it results in the freedom of God's people from slavery. Now, from that point on, we find that God is always angry. (laughs) But he's not only angry. Here's another story that helps us understand it. Uh, When Moses and God interact, this is another time. This is later on in Exodus 34. It says this, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, 
slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sins of their parents to the third and the fourth generation. That passage is really important because it gives us eight things. It gives us four innate qualities of God, four aspects of God's character. These are the things intrinsic to what it means for God to be God, that he's compassionate, that he's gracious, that he's abounding in love and abounding in forgiveness. That's who God is. But then it also gives us four ways that God's character is expressed. Four ways those things play out in the world. He is angry, but what does it say? He's slow to anger. The Hebrew word for anger, it's, it's actually hilarious. There is no Hebrew word for anger. It's an image, and it's when you have a red nose or a hot nose. It talks about somebody's nostrils being hot. And it'll say that about God. It'll say God had hot nostrils. But more often than not, what it says is God has long nostrils. Think about the imagery. Hot nostrils. Right? Explosive anger. What are long nostrils? He is angry, but he's slow to anger. He maintains his love for thousands. He forgives wickedness. And he punishes the guilty throughout the generations. You see, God is not only angry, and he does not only judge and punish, but God is angry, and he does judge and punish. But even in his anger, his judgment and his punishment, they are always directly tied to his compassion, to his grace, to his abounding love and mercy. I want you to hear this. This is from a rabbi named Abraham Joshua Heschel. He was really active in the 50s and 60s in the civil rights movement. He marched with uh, Dr. King. Uh, This comes from his book called The Prophets. He says this, he says, God does not reveal himself in abstract absoluteness, but in a personal relationship with the world. He is moved and affected by what happens in the world and he reacts accordingly. Events and human actions arouse in him joy or sorrow, pleasure or wrath. He is not conceived of in the Bible as judging the world detached from it. Instead, he reacts in an intimate manner, being moved and affected, grieved or gladdened by what people do. And he goes on to say, he says, few divine passions have been so vehemently denounced by teachers of morality throughout the ages as the divine passion of anger, because it's pictured as sinister and malignant, an evil force that has to be suppressed under all circumstances. But the truth is, those are not the features of anger. Like like fire, anger may be a blessing as well as something that's fatal. It's reprehensible when it's associated with malice, but it's morally necessary in resistance to malice. And then he says this, I know this is long, but it's important. He says the ultimate evil when it comes to pathos or emotion is indifference and apathy. To stand by and to feel nothing when something terrible is going on. The Bible never portrays God's anger as something irrational that can't be accounted for. It's never a spontaneous outburst. It is always a reaction 
motivated by the conduct of humans, motivated by a concern for right and wrong. If you were sitting with me and we were watching the news, watching destruction and chaos around the world, wherever it is, because there's always some, right? If you were sitting with me and I was completely unmoved, if I could care less, maybe I thought some of it was funny. What would you think about my pathos, about my emotions, about my humanity? Why would we not want a God who's gonna react to the evil and the chaos that we see in the world? So anger, it's not a basic attribute of God, but it is the way God responds to evil. God is not only angry, but God is always angry because there is always evil. Does that make sense? So based on Psalm 7, based on those passages in Exodus, uh, we've talked about who God is and what God has done. So those are just a couple chapters out of the 1,189 chapters in the Bible. So there's clearly more that we could say about this. Um, But we'll continue to talk about it in the next week as we enter into Holy Week. But for today, we have two more questions left. Uh, In light of who God is and what God has done, who are we and what are we to do? So I want you to listen to this definition of anger. Uh, This is by Tim Keller. Uh, He says, anger is energy released in the defense of something and energy released to attack something. He goes on to say that anger is destructive energy and it is good. (laughs) Now that might sound counterintuitive, but anger is destructive and good because it defends something that's threatened and it attacks the thing that's causing the threat. But here's the key. We have to ask, what's being defended and what's being attacked? That is the key to understanding the difference between God's anger, God's good anger, that good anger that does live in us as his image bearers. What's being defended and what's being attacked? That's how we tell the difference between good anger and the kind of anger that typically is on display in us, that we typically see in destructive words and actions. So listen to this. This is from Mark chapter one. Uh, This is a story about Jesus. A man comes to Jesus with leprosy and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And what does it say? Thank you, Bill. What does it say, church? (laughs) Okay, now again, our translations, they do this all the time. And honestly, it's a little frustrating. They'll say indignant or righteous indignation. They'll do things like that. The Hebrew and the Greek don't have words for that. It's just anger. The word there is the Greek word orge. <laughs> Does that sound like something? <laughs> this is a messy word. That's the Greek word for anger. Jesus was really angry. And this is not the only time this happens over and over with Jesus. But what does he do? He reached out his hand and he touched the man. Jesus said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Anger is energy released in defense of something and energy released to attack something. So what did Jesus use that energy in defense of? What was he defending? He was defending a person. He was defending the man. He was defending a human. And what did he use that energy to attack? What did he release that energy to attack? 
the leprosy. He attacked the disease. He attacked the thing that kept that man separated from his community. You guys know what it was like to be a leper in the first century? I'm sure you've heard this. They had to walk around if they were anywhere near a community and what did they have to shout? Unclean. Over and over and over again. They had to stop, keep shouting it until they were out of earshot of another human. Do you know what that makes them unable to do? Not only eat with family, not only spend time with their community, they can't practice their religion. It was an evil attacking this man. Jesus used, he released his energy to defend the human and attack the disease. And this happens over and over. Almost every time Jesus comes across somebody who needs to be healed, that word anger is involved. He is angry at the suffering human's experience. Now in the Old Testament, God does release his anger in some more destructive ways, for sure. I don't deny that at all. But in every case, God is acting on his plan to seek and save the lost and to restore his broken creation. That is his plan and he will not be deterred from that plan. God always acts against those who seek evil, against those who cause destruction, who do things that would separate us from God. God acts against evil and injustice in defense of those who suffer from it and in defense of his holiness and in defense of his plan for salvation. That's good anger. That's God's anger. And the truth is, I want God to be angry. I want him to be moved by evil and injustice. I want God to judge and punish those who are causing suffering and injustice. Am I the only one? Like, don't you? I would be more terrified of a God who passively watches all that happen without giving it a second thought. That is terrifying to me. So I want God to be angry. I just don't want him to be angry at me. And the reality is we have kind of an Old Testament, New Testament problem. If we just stopped with the Old Testament, y'all, God's complete character wouldn't be revealed yet. And I honestly wouldn't know how to answer the question of God's anger and God's wrath because it is overwhelming in the Old Testament at times. But again, the Old Testament is not the complete revelation of who God is, Jesus is. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. So we can't just wrestle with God's anger based only on the Old Testament. We've got to go to Jesus. And the good news is that, that we're going to celebrate throughout Holy Week on an Easter Sunday. The good news is that Jesus took the anger and the wrath of God. He took it upon himself. And then he took it to the grave. And then he left it there. And those who are in Christ... We need to fear God for sure. Scripture is clear. We shouldn't fear anything other than God. But we no longer need to fear the anger and the wrath of God because it is not being poured out on us. It has been poured out for us. Amen? Is that good news? The first service, when I said amen, they kind of said, yeah. <laughs> It was, it was an intense service. So anyway, um, okay, so we, let's get really practical before we're done. Um, because it is really important to see that anger is good until it's not. And we need to see how that like, can actually play out um, in our daily lives. 
Um, So in Ephesians 4, Paul writes this. He says, be angry and do not sin. Some translations will say, in your anger, do not sin. That's not the Greek. The Greek is be angry. It's an imperative. It's a command. You are to be angry in the right way and at the right time and at the right things. Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So be angry, do not sin, and don't give it over to the devil because nothing good ever comes from it. We just end up with spilled milk on clothes and homework. (laughs) And see, God's anger is good. In Jesus, we see that good anger heals and restores and seeks to save what is lost. But anger that's controlled by anything other than God, y'all, ultimately it becomes destructive. That kind of anger seeks not to relieve pain and suffering, but actually to cause it. So I, I wanna share with you, this is how this plays out in my life. And I don't know, this might be simplistic, it might be silly, um, but it's practical. This is just part of what's going on with me and I thought it might be helpful for you. So um, like many of you, my life is really busy and I'm good with that. Um, I can handle the busyness. Um, I can handle the crowd, right? Like I can handle having to do some extrovert time, but I need to balance that out. <laughs> I need to reset with some good introvert, introvert time. Um, and being alone uh, with my thoughts, with a good book, with a movie, that is restorative to me. It feeds my soul. I want that time. And I think that's okay. But here's what usually happens. Um, I think, I look at my schedule, I look at my family schedule, and I think, yo, I got a free night. Wait a minute. I've got a free day. And what do I start to do? I start to dream. I become a visionary. I start to imagine all the things that I can do with that time. I start to like build up expectations of all the things I can do for myself. If I time it right, I could get through all nine Star Wars movies (laughs) and maybe even throw in Solo and Rogue One. I start to build up expectations of all the things that I can do for myself. I even begin to covet the idea of having that time for myself. And then what happens? Oh, dad, I forgot. I need you to take me or I need you to drop me off. Which granted, there's 50% less of that now that I've got a driver. So that's awesome. But, um, but dad, I need you too, right? Oh, dad, I, I forgot. I've got this homework. I've got this project. Or honey, I'm so sorry, but I forgot we need to. Or could you fill in the blank, whatever it is. It honestly doesn't matter. Because whatever it is, what starts to build up in me? And I think that's okay. Because I have needs too, right? I'm human, I've got needs. But remember, anger is energy released to defend something that is threatened to attack something that's causing the threat. Paul tells me to be angry, but not to sin, not to give it over to the devil. I'm angry because they've messed up my time. They messed up my day, my night, my plans. They are standing in opposition to my time. But are they being unjust? Are they intentionally causing me to suffer? 
Are they oppressing me by asking me just to do my job as a husband and a father? By asking me to provide and to protect and to prepare them for the day or the week ahead of them? By asking me just to take care of things at the house? Are they oppressing me? No. But they are standing in opposition to the peace and the quiet that I imagined for myself, that I began to covet for myself. So I have to stop and ask, what's more important? My plans for my day or the needs of my wife and kids, my, my commitment to them. I have to ask the question because it's not always one answer. Some days I really do need to rest and to reset. Like some days my plans matter just as much as theirs. And if I handle that anger well, I can just tell them that. I can just tell them, y'all, like I, I need a little time. Like I need a little space. And then maybe we can work something out together. But I don't always need that time. Sometimes I just want it. I covet it. And when I don't see that clearly, my anger is unleashed and I go on the attack. And when I don't control that anger, when it boils up and I blow, at the, blow up at them, I, y'all, I'm not opposing evil. I'm not fighting injustice. I'm just defending my own agenda. I'm attacking my family in defense of my own desires. Anger becomes sinful when it wells up in us in defense of our egos, of our pride, of our reputation, of our agenda. It becomes sinful when it's released to attack not evils, not problems, not sins, not injustice, but when we release it to attack people. In Jesus, God uses his anger not to destroy people, but to destroy the things that are destroying people. So I can say that I'm angry, that's okay. I can be angry, that's okay. But I've gotta be willing to slow down and ask myself some real questions. And when I realize that my anger is being aroused because I wanna protect my own agenda, then I can prayerfully, right? Where does everything always start? It starts with prayer. I can prayerfully release it and then take care of my wife and kids. If we can learn to do that in our homes, then we can learn to do it at work, in the community. We can learn to do it as a church. But I really do think it starts at home. Y'all, if I learn to do it at work, if I learn to do it in the community, but I can't do that at home, what good is that? Is that practical? Is that helpful? Is it tough, <laughs> but helpful? Am I the only one that does this? So this is a tough subject, but, but I'm, I'm just convinced after I've thought about this for a few weeks, I'm convinced that we struggle to accept an angry God because we think he's angry like we're angry. But that's not true. God's anger on behalf of his children and his world, it's not the same as my sinful, selfish fits of rage. God is not angry like I'm angry. He's inviting me to be and to use my anger as he does. In Christ, he's inviting me to feel and to practice his good and redemptive anger, anger that heals and restores, anger that seeks to save the lost, good anger that redeems and restores a broken world. So the good news for us today, the good news for all people is that God is not only angry, but he is always angry at evil and at injustice, at anything that would stand between him and his children. Can you sympathize with that? Can you sympathize with anger in defense of anything that would stand between you and the ones that you love the most? 
The good news is that in Jesus, God uses that anger not to destroy us, but to destroy the things that are destroying us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful um, for hard texts, grateful for difficult truths that we find in scripture. Sometimes we wish we could skip right past them, uh, but that's just not how it works. And we need the whole story, we need the whole truth if we're gonna understand who you are and what you've done. So I pray that you continue to walk with us um, as we wrestle with difficult passages, walk with us as we go into Holy Week, as we sit with Jesus at the table on that Thursday night, as we stand at the foot of the cross on that Good Friday, and then as we celebrate his resurrection the following Sunday. Help us to understand and help us to proclaim the good, even when it's difficult, the good news. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and all God's people said, amen. Amen. amen.